And welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, a few topics I want to try to get to uh, in today's edition, because a lot has happened. And uh, again, as usual, there's a tremendous need for focus, analysis, a step back from some of the stories that come at us rapid fire, not only just in the American news media, but of course, for those of us who are Jewish and pro-Israel and, and looking at so many different developments going on. I, I want to start with a with the topic that many of you know is very close to my heart and one that I've dedicated some uh, previous editions of Novak Now to, and that is the Bob Levinson case, because we have some updates and some more clarifications that I want everyone to know about, and, and this is getting more and more serious and also a little bit more disturbing as we move along. Um, for those of you who may remember Bob Levinson, or may not remember, Bob Levinson is the longest-serving American hostage. He has been a captive of the Iranians now for more than 12 years. He has been held in Iran. Uh, he is a former FBI agent who we believe was working as a contractor for the CIA and was interviewing a witness on someone who would tell him something about the Russian mafia and some of the things that they were doing on an island that is controlled by Iran but is open to all. You can go there without a visa. And then he was brought to mainland Iran. This is all 2006-2007 period. We know that the Obama administration and before that even the George W. Bush administration knew about his captivity. Uh, very little was done in those administrations to get him out. And then to make matters worse under the Obama administration, he was deliberately kept in captivity. The Obama administration really started to tiptoe around the Iranians really even before President Obama was inaugurated in the hopes of improving U.S.-Iranian diplomatic relations, in the hopes of degrading U.S.-Saudi diplomatic relations in hopes of what they thought would be a more balanced Middle Eastern policy. And of course, that was naive, because as bad as Saudi Arabia can, and it can be and often has been, well, first of all, it's improved greatly in the last couple of years, as you've heard me talk about a lot here on Novak Now. But unfortunately, in foreign policy, you very often, if not always, have to deal with the lesser of two evils. For those of you who are students of history, you know that was... President Nixon's successful policy, perhaps the most successful policy of his whole presidency, which overall was a failure, but he was successful in his China policy, opening up China and getting uh, a friendship stronger with the Chinese absolutely was the beginning of the collapse of the Soviet Union that, of course, President Reagan helped finish that job by putting economic pressure on the Soviet Union with our military buildup. And the same thing really goes for successful Middle East policy as it is. I mean, again, I, 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 tell, I say this as it's all relative. It's not good that Saudi Arabia is still so far behind modern conventions and decency. But first of all, we should commend them for some of the things that they've done that have been very positive over the last couple of years. And then even during the Obama years, they were still preferable to Iran. You know, if Iran was the number one and still is the number one sponsor of terrorism and is the number one controller of Hezbollah. Hezbollah is an Iranian arm, and Hezbollah is much, much more powerful and dangerous than Al-Qaeda. Obviously, they didn't pull off anything as big as 9-11 like Al-Qaeda did. But as many people have noted, that was Al-Qaeda's kind of home run that they hit that was sadly improbable, but it did happen. And Hezbollah is a 24-7 killing machine. And... 
President Obama and his administration very naively. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on naive there. Later in the show, I'm going to be talking about something that isn't so naive. But in this case, I think that just they naively thought that it would be better for U.S. Middle Eastern policy if they were a little bit more balanced. So Bob Levinson was, was basically sacrificed for that effort. There were other things that the U.S. administration, the Obama administration, wanted Iran to, to, to change. But for the most part, Iran got the deal, got billions of dollars, got access to some of their money and all of that without really making any major concessions. And they certainly did not give up Bob Levinson. And Bob Levinson, not only did they not have to give him up, they basically were allowed to not even have to admit that they were holding him. Now, again, imagine you're Bob Levinson's family. This is a man with a wife and seven children in Florida who have not even been given the decency from the Iranian government to say that they have their dad, their, their, their grandfather, their husband in captivity. And this was all done in, in sacrifice for a deal that was not even good. And thankfully President Trump pulled us out of, and even though there are other countries that are still dealing with Iran and still keeping that nuclear deal in place for whatever it's worth, which I don't think is much, to the West. I think it's worth a lot to Iran. The good news is, is that there has been a tremendous strain on the Iranian economy because the U.S. has pulled out of the deal and has made it clear that corporations from other countries uh, that deal with Iran are going to have to have, are, are going to have some legal problems here in the United States. And uh, that isn't just talk. Because for those of you who've been following some of the business news, you know that there's a major Chinese telecom company called Huawei whose CFO and daughter of the founder, Meg Wanzhou, is in jail right now. She's actually under house arrest, I should say, in Canada. She's on her way to be extradited to the United States. We are going to prosecute her for working around, trying to work, illegally work around the Iran sanctions. When the deal was in place, by the way, there were still some sanctions that Huawei was skirting. So the Trump administration is not fooling around about this, and Iran's economy has been hurt. And all that's great. But Bob Levinson is still in captivity, and the Iranians still won't admit they have him. Now, the good news is, is that you've heard me say on a previous edition of Novak Now, my good friend, my longtime friend of over 30 years, Bob Kent, who is a former Air Force intelligence officer, who is an expert in the area in the Middle East, and goes there re regularly, works with reconnaissance teams. They know, they believe they know where, where Bob Levinson is. They believe they can get the proof of life video out to the world. And that's all the good news. The bad news is there is a mixture of support and opposition within the U.S. government right now for that operation. Even for the proof-of-life video operation. I'm not even talking about a rescue operation. And I first spoke about this a couple of months ago, and I was much more hopeful, and I'm still very hopeful, but it's getting infuriating because those people within the U.S. government, particularly in the FBI, who are blocking... Any attempt to get Bob Levinson out or even to prove that he is still being captive is becoming now a major scandal. It is a major scandal. The FBI has a number of holdovers from the last few administrations who, A, would love to see the Iran deal restored, B, are worried about some of the things that Bob Levinson can say about them. Specifically, we believe... Uh, Bob Kent and I believe, and others people, other people believe, that there is a, an FBI double agent who is the head of a mosque in Manassas, Virginia, which is northern Virginia. That's where the Battle of Bull Run was, by the way, for you history buffs. We believe that there is a Shiite leader of a mosque there who is a longtime double agent 
for the U.S. and also for Iran. The U.S. has used him at times, for example, during the Iraq War when we felt he could give us some intelligence from Iran. But whose negatives far outweigh his positives. But his FBI handlers want to protect him. And by the way, this is, this is an M.O. of the FBI that's been going on for a long time. Federal informants who sometimes are, or actually I would say often are, worse than the people they're informing on are protected for a long time. And there's one example for those of you who don't believe me. Uh, a man named Whitey Bulger. Does that name sound familiar? They know the top Irish mobster. They made a ton of movies either about him or inspired by him. Who was protected by Robert Mueller. Yes, that Robert Mueller when he was a U.S. attorney working with the FBI in the New England area. And for years they either believed or covered up the fact that Bulger was better than the, all the people he was informing on. Of course, he was the biggest murderer of them all. And not only was Bulger protected from prosecution for a long time, but even some of his associates. I mean, they just they gave him the courtesy of, of that as well. So that's just one example. But there's a lot of times when federal informants are clearly worse than the people they're informing on. And they're protected by their handlers for two reasons. One, they have some delusion that they're going to get an even bigger fish. And two, they start to protect them because they realize, oh, we were protecting a, a worse guy. We, we better cover that up. So we believe that is at play as well in the Bob Levinson case. The good news is, is that the State Department is generally supportive of this. There are arms of the military that are generally supportive of this. But the FBI is working very hard to block any attempt to prove that Bob Levinson is alive, prove that we can get him out, and this has to stop. Now, I, I want to stop for a second because I know the FBI has become this real lightning rod in American politics in the last couple of years. You know, where the state of where we are right now, the state of things as, as it is now, is because President Trump fired James Comey, the former director of the FBI, for the last two years now, because it, it'll be two years in May, since the firing. For the last two years now, we have seen the Democrats take this strange position of supporting the FBI through thick and thin, believing that they are this just, wonderful organization filled with people who are only trying to get to the truth. And the Republicans have been very critical of it because they found many cells within the FBI who were very partisan politically. I want to say something here now that has nothing to do with partisan politics and nothing to do with President Trump. The FBI has been plagued by corruption from day one. Again, this has nothing to do with President Trump. It was started by J. Edgar Hoover, who was a very corrupt individual. I think you could probably list some of the good things he did for the United States, but we know that he was corrupt and did some incredibly criminal acts in his many years of running the FBI. Do I think the FBI directors and people now are as bad as J. Edgar Hoover? No. But the history of the FBI must lead any thinking person to believe and understand that there is still a tremendous amount of corruption there. And what we're seeing there now is very, very clear. And again, I don't think this is really about partisan politics. In other words, I know there are a lot of my Republican and conservative friends who would love to say, oh, it's a liberal cesspool. The reason why it's corrupt is because they don't like conservatives or Republicans. I don't think that's the issue. I think it's just filled with careerists, people who feel that they can get more power, keep their power, find a way to make money in other ways that a government salary wouldn't give them. And they become drunk with all of that. And that has been the history of the FBI for a long time. And I think that 
this is must reading, and you may have heard me suggest this book before. I'm going to do more than a suggestion. Now. I'm going to assign everyone to read this book, especially if you are if you're not really believing me, if you're not really going along and agreeing with me with what I'm saying about the FBI. I urge you, urge you, urge you to read the book Leak by Max Holland. Now, this is a book specifically about the Watergate era, and Mark Felt, who was a high-ranking FBI official, who was Deep Throat. And as you'll read in the book, not a spo- I don't want to spoil too much, but you'll read in the book, Mark Felt had no interest in bringing down President Richard Nixon. He was not some do-gooder, not some justice seeker, not somebody who wanted to stop a bad president. Mark Felt did what he did to move ahead in- within the FBI, and he would have been very happy if President Nixon had stayed in power. In fact, that was really his goal. He was looking for something else. I won't spoil that part of the book. But what you will learn in the book is that there have always been factions within the FBI, people, different people who wanted power for different reasons and for different goals, the whole thing. And it has very little to do with Republican, Democrat. In fact, I would say, again, nothing to do with Republican, Democrat, conservative, or liberal. And I believe that in this Bob Levinson case, we are dealing with pretty much the same thing. I don't believe the people who want the Iran deal or who want to protect this informant of theirs in Manassas are necessarily big liberals or big Obama lovers. It's not a question of that. It's a question of they believe that if the Iran deal is back in place, they will have more power and prominence within the FBI. And if Bob Levinson case, if the Bob Levinson case becomes publicized more, and if he is rescued, and if he's able to say a few things which he may be able to say or not, they won't have as much power. They'll, and they might even be in trouble. They could even be prosecuted. So that's what's going on here. All right, that's what's going on here. This is not a case of, I hate President Trump only. This is not a case of, I'm a liberal. It's not, it's not a case of that. It's a case of, of people within the FBI who are making it hard to get somebody out who could threaten their power, their prestige, and maybe even their freedom if they've committed incredible crimes. But the Bob Levinson case, as I've said before, is something that we as a Jewish community need to be very concerned about. Bob Levinson is a Jew. I believe that some of the reasons why he has been denied some, some human rights are justified within the Iranian regime is because he's Jewish. And I think that they want to keep him in captivity because they believe they can get a bigger deal by trading him away later on down the road. Or, God forbid, trade his remains if he dies. Because that is another factor I want to bring in here. Bob Levinson has diabetes. We believe that he is not being treated properly for it, which is why the last picture we saw of him from a few years ago, he looks so much older than his 70 years. We believe he's in bad shape physically. We need him out of there and back in his, to his family in Florida as soon as possible. And again, if you are listening here and you follow my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY, or you see my Facebook pages at Jake Novak, N-O-V-A-K, I urge you to, to look up the columns I've written about Bob Levinson. I've also done some stuff about it on LinkedIn. Please read them, share them, tell your friends about them. To me, this is just as urgent as the Soviet Jewry causes that many of us of, of our age took up when we were kids. This must be addressed within the Jewish community and within the wider American community, obviously. But the point is, this can't wait. There is political, but again, I think more careerist and personal resistance to doing anything for Bob Levinson, and it must, must stop. He must be rescued and it has to start with that proof-of-life video getting out there. Once that gets out there, I think we'll see some real movement real soon. So that is the first issue I want to talk about. Again, you're listening to Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. Again, I've mentioned my social media feeds. Please, please follow them. At JakeJakeNY is the Twitter feed. And Jake Novak, N-O-V-A-K, I have a couple of Facebook pages you can find pretty easily. Second thing I want to talk about today is, of course... <laughs> 
this, this situation with Congresswoman Elon Omar from, from Minnesota. Because it just keeps getting worse with this woman, and predictably so. You'll remember this is this woman of Somali descent who was elected to Congress back in November. She immediately started uh, making anti-Israel comments, anti-American Jewish support of Israel comments. Looking back on her Twitter feed from years in the past, we'd seen that she'd posted things about how Israel has hypnotized the world. I mean, classic anti-Israel, BDS, uh, nasty stuff, which, of course, drifts into anti-Semitism plenty of times. And she rekindled this controversy just a couple of weeks ago when prompted by some anti-Israel voices on Twitter, she made the point that, well, the reason why the Congress of Cor- is supportive of Israel is all about the money, all about the Benjamins, baby, you know, Benjamin Franklin $100 bill. Then when asked to clarify that, she said APAC, which of course is ludicrous. APAC doesn't donate money to candidates. There are times when they arrange for donors to candidates, but that is not as anywhere near large or as widespread as real lobbying. If you look at the lobbying, this is a wonderful website called opensecrets.org. You can look at it and you will see that donations for Israel, (laughs) donations from pro-Israel groups are not even in the top 20 ever. Okay. There's money being donated to a number of candidates and sometimes APAC arranges it. Again, they do not make donations directly. I, I, I will say that. But on the large scale look at things, it's not a very big amount of money. It's nowhere near the amount of money that insurance companies and the real estate, the realtors are almost always the number one donors. Bankers are often big-time donors, auto industry, oil industry, that kind of thing. So it's silly to say that. It's like saying the person who gave you two cents has more influence over than the person who gave you $100. It's very silly. But it's more than silly, of course. This is, this is anti-Semitic type rhetoric. We're used to it for those of us who've been following this for a long time. And it took another bad turn this past week when Omar at a discussion talked about how people who are very pro-Israel are promoting an, an allegiance to a foreign country, which is the oldest lie slur against the Jewish people. For those of you who know your little Pesach history, you know that that's what Pharaoh and the people around Pharaoh were worried about, supposedly worried about, or lying about, I would more, I'm more apt to say, about the Jews in Egypt, that they were a fifth column, that they would support some other country if they invaded. So this is old school anti-Semitism. There's nothing new about it. There's a lot of people I'm laughing uh, on social media who are congratulating Elon Omar for opening up this new argument. <laughs> new argument. It's 5,000 years old, you morons. It's an old argument, and it's an old, it's old stuff. I, I love it. When very, so very often you'll hear an anti-Semitic speaker, particularly online, or an anti-Israel speaker, particularly online, who makes a particular argument, and it's as if they're the first people in the world ever to say all this stuff. I'm, I'm breaking the silence about pro-Israel or the Jews. I mean, this is the silence. It's been a, it's been a cacophony for 5,000 years. It's a joke. It's a joke, again, that would be funny if it weren't so dangerous for the Jewish people. I want to talk about one aspect of this that's also really, really bothersome right now. And that is almost every Democrat, including Democrats like Elliot Engel and Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who had the decency, I guess, (laughs) to criticize Elon Omar publicly for her comments, are still basically explaining it away as her naivete. In other words, they're saying, these are terrible things that you're saying, Congresswoman Omar. It's bad that you're doing this. But we know that it's probably because you're not so well-versed in all this stuff. You know, you got to love that. I'm saying that sarcastically. You got to love that. This, you are naive when you say this. 
It's not that you're a bad person. It's not that you meant to say this. It's not that you've known it for years and been saying horrible things about Israel and the Jews in America who support the Israel for years. This, this is just a new naivete. You're, you're new in Congress. Let me ask you a question. If there were a newly elected white male member of Congress who was saying misogynistic things, or saying things against against, uh, black people or Latinos, would any Republican be dumb enough, a leader in Congress, or any Republican leader in Congress be dumb enough to say, oh, this is just naivete? Now, they might be stupid enough not to say anything and not to denounce them. We've seen that problem. But no one would say, oh, you're just naive. Not publicly. But you can get away with that, I guess, in the Democratic Party. And we as Jews in America, whether you're Republican or Democrat, I urge you not to let them get away with that. Elon Omar is not naive. And I believe not only is Elon Omar not naive, I don't believe that anti-Semitism and anti-Israel causes are really her end, end game here. Her end game is actually already being achieved, which is to divide the country. For those of you who know about the MOs of organizations like Al Jazeera, which Al Jazeera in America, of course, went out of business, but it's still here in in the world. The Al Jazeera International Network is still going. For those of you who remember Al Jazeera America, that was a network that was made to divide America. They had nightly programs about how racist America was, and they used a lot of keywords and 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 stories that were meant to make everybody sort of get into their wedge issues and hate each other. And I believe that's what Elon Omar is doing as well. That's her goal. Her goal is to divide America. So she's starting with the Jews because we're usually we're always the first target. And she's getting a little pushback. I don't think she's getting a lot of pushback. For those of you who think there's this big outrage against her, there really isn't. Where where's where's Nancy Pelosi to threaten to take her off of her committee assignments like the Republicans did to Stephen King, the congresswoman men from Iowa who uh has been saying some some stuff that, you know, somewhat supportive of white supremacism. I mean, just crazy stuff that he's saying. She's not getting all that much pushback. She's really not. She's getting almost as much support as she's getting pushback. So that's where she's going to start. But I guarantee you there'll be other places where she goes to next. She may say something about, oh, I don't know, 9-11 first responders. She might have something to say about that. In the past, she has supported allowing people who joined ISIS to not be punished when they come back here to the United States, even though they had committed war crimes, all that kind of stuff. But her, that's her point. Her point is to make us all kind of go after each other and be angry at each other. And it's succeeding. It's succeeding. And to make Americans who believe that racism is the only thing that you need to worry about in the world go after those who aren't racist, who, but they believe are. I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole thing that we've seen in a lot of different avenues. It's a divisive, it's a divisive um, goal, and she's, she's, she's succeeding at it. But I don't think she's getting huge pushback, honestly, for her comments. She's really not. She's getting away with it. Because, again, even the, the Jewish members of Congress who are supposedly so outraged about her keep explaining away what she did, what she says. They keep writing it off to naivete. And they've been a lot more outraged by a poster that appeared in the West Virginia State House, I guess over the weekend, that equated Elon Omar with 9-11. And for the record, I don't think she has anything to do with al-Qaeda or 9-11, but she's certainly very sympathetic to a lot of terrorists. Uh, I wouldn't have put up a poster like that because that's not really the issue. You might want to put up a poster of her showing her with ISIS fighters coming back to the United States because that, that's a group she absolutely is connected with, both emotionally and, 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 and in a real way. But the outrage from the same people who were supposedly outraged by her anti-Semitic comments about that poster was ten times worse. Because, so they, you know, it's, it's like the opposite. They, they, they come down harder on our own. 
Americans seem to be hating other Americans a lot more than people who are trying to kill us from other countries and people who support them, which is a head-scratcher if you haven't been following the news for the last 20 years. We've come to the point now where intramural rivalries are much, much more heated and much more serious, and that is when you really have a breakdown, not only as a country, but kind of as a family. Think of the usual scenario if you had siblings. You know, you may not have been fighting with your siblings and had rivalries with them growing up, but when some kid on the schoolyard beat you up, your older brother came in and helped you out, even though he may not have been so nice to you at home. That's what's supposed to happen in a normal family. When the older brother either joins in or cheers on the person from another family beating you up, then you're dealing with a sociopathic, perhaps even psychopathic relationship within your own family. And that's where we are getting to in the United States right now, I'm sorry to say. It seems like no matter how horrific a foreign enemy is, no matter what they threaten or actually do to us from their foreign countries or with their foreign operatives, the initial response is to blame each other, or not even blame each other, but preemptively blame each other. How many times have we seen a a Muslim terror attack in this country, and the first thing we hear from the left is, this is terrible because now people are going to hate, our fellow Americans who are jerks are going to hate Muslims more. I mean, the bodies aren't even warm yet, cold yet, I should say, from a horrible, horrific killing that we've seen in terrorist attack after terrorist attack, and the knee-jerk response from the left is, let's preemptively blame people on the right who are going to blame Muslims for this. I, I mean, I, we've seen this all, all the time. It drives me nuts. But we see it all the time. So be very, please be very uh, uh, understanding and uh, aware of what's going on here with Elon Omar. She's trying to divide the country, starting with the Jews. It'll move on to other things later, I promise. And notice how her supposed critics on the, in, on the Democratic side have nothing but, ex, expl, but excuses for her. And they're using naivete as an excuse. If you're so naive, then why have you been elected to Congress? It's ridiculous. You don't belong in Congress. If, if they really believe that naivete is the reason, she has no business in Congress. But of course, I don't really think they even really believe that. I think they're just trying to avoid an embarrassing situation in their own party while still saying enough to make some of the naive Jewish supporters that they have say, oh, oh okay, at least she, they stood up to her. I guarantee you, Wasserman Schultz and Elliot Engel will have campaign material in two years when they're running again, or a year and a half when they're running again, talking about how they stood up to Ilan Omar within their own party. And, and a bunch of Jewish organizations will applaud them. They didn't stand up to them, okay? Because they gave, them, they gave, they gave her an escape route from day one. That's not standing up to anyone. So again, I, I urge you all to follow the Bob Levinson story. Please follow my my social media feeds, again, at JakeJakeNY, at JakeJakeNY is my social media, is my Twitter account. Then there's Jake Novak on Facebook. You can find me on LinkedIn, again, also at Jake Novak, N-O-V-A-K. You will find all of the information that I and Bob Kent, who has much more detailed information about the individual members of the, in Iran and in the FBI who are giving us a, a problem with the rescue for Bob Levinson. I, I really, really urge you to at least retweet and repost those stories. We have to get this situation out there into the public discourse. Bob Levinson is a 12-year-long serving hostage in Iran. He is serving there because he is an American, because he is a Jew. He is not being given basic human rights, and we believe his health is in serious, serious danger. He must be rescued. And the reason why he's not being rescued is because of careerist, corrupt people within the U.S. government here and there, and thank goodness there are, I think, more people who are good within the U.S. government who are trying to help us, but the FBI specifically is not being helpful for their own careerist motives. This has to stop. 
this has to stop. And I really think that the Jewish community needs to get behind him in a big way. We need to make a loud noise about this. And this has to be something that transcends Republican Democrats. So let me tell my Democrat friends who are listening, my liberal friends who are listening, this is not about liberal and, and conservative. The people who are blocking Bob Levinson's rescue and information about his proof of life are not doing it because they are Democrats or liberals. They're doing it for careerist motives. This has nothing to do with partisanship. So I urge you to pay attention to that. This is Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.